This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, howdy, hey, my broom brothers and sisters. I'm here live with another episode of Brew Strong and my good friend Scott Janish uh, from scottjanish.com and uh, Sapper uh, Brewery Brewery out in, uh, in uh, this is the, the East Coast, uh, Maryland, the uh, where everybody no is merry, the merry land. Just got finished with the show, and so now we're moving on to more hop stuff. Scott, tell people that maybe this is their first show that they've they've seen you on. Tell them a little bit about yourself, how you got started in this whole uh, hop book writing thing. Well, it's the uh, you know my my intro into homebrewing is probably the same story that most people have. Mine was the uh, the homebrew kit um, homebrew kit thing, and and my I, I still remember the first batch I did because it tasted so bad. It was, it was like tasted like soap. <laughs> um, and I, I always say, I think that's why I was just like, didn't give it up. Like I, I it was so bad. I knew I could do better. And so I just right. kept like, come on, I can do better than this. But had that first batch been good, I might've just been like, all right, good. I'll check that one off the box. I, I don't need to do that anymore. Yep. Uh, I think having a bad first homebrew batch, especially if you've tasted great homebrew, it kind of teaches you just like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know? Bob over here made great homebrew. Yeah. I'm making bad homebrew. Ah, all right. You know, versus uh, if you're comparing it to the greatest commercial beer you ever had, you might be like, I can't do it. They're, they've got advantages, you know, over me with their commercial gear. Right. Right. That's, that's, that's kind of how I got started and then just sort of uh, um, moved on from, oh, it's cool that I can make beer at home to, all right, let's, let's really try to make beer at home. And got right. pretty, pretty serious about it and started a, a blog mostly inspired by, you know, Mike's Mad Fermentationist blog at the time, honestly, because um, I just I, I appreciated people putting their their process and, um, you know, recipes out and then out for the world to read and then having honest feedback from them. You know, mm-hmm. I think one of my favorite parts of Mike's blog is if he didn't like the beer, it was pretty clear he didn't he didn't like it, but he still mm-hmm. wrote about it. Um, right, so right. Yeah, I, I trusted him more because of that, and it, it mm-hmm. was almostly, you know, what you don't like is sometimes just uh, as important as as what you do when you're when you're brewing. And so, um, so inspired by that, I started blogging, and then that just uh, kind of grew into you know the academic blogging to a to a book. So it was a, it was a slow organic process. But um, speaking of things I don't like and do like, 
uh, my good friend, John Blickman. John Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com. Yeah, you've probably seen that gear uh, in your local homebrew shop. You probably drooled over it. Somebody in your club may have a Blickman Engineering uh, piece of equipment. Heck, even your local microbrewery is probably running a Blickman Engineering uh, system. Or if they're not, they're missing out. If you're thinking of opening a uh, you know, small brewery or something like that, you do yourself uh, justice to check out Blickman Engineering. Uh, they are making the, – the, the good thing about them is – I will tell you this. I've known John Blickman for 20 years, whatever, and he – the most important thing in the world to him is that if you buy a piece of equipment from them, that you're going to be satisfied, that it's actually going to make your brewing day easier, better, your process better. It's going to help you in some way. And if it's not, he doesn't want to sell you anything. <laughs> it's, it's just the way this guy is. He's wonderful. So in his quest to help the brewing community, he sponsors this show because for some reason, he probably only listened to a show where we have lots of good information. He didn't listen to the show where I talked about my testicles or anything like that. So <laughs> that's why he still sponsors this show. And what I need you to do is not talk about the testicle thing, but to email feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com and explain to him uh, that this show is a valuable piece of resource and you appreciate that he has sponsored it. So uh, check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. And like I said, John Blickman is just a, a wonderful human being and uh, very kind and helpful to home brewers and pro brewers everywhere. So check them out. Um, all right. So today we are talking about uh, survivables. And I thought that this was fascinating. See, I read, I read scottjanish.com because there's a ton of great information on there. And I, you know, maybe you don't have the answer to everything, but you pose a lot of interesting questions. And one of them is, uh, you know, what survives kind of the hot side of, of the brew process that really becomes hoppy. This is one of the things that has kind of irked me for a long time. And maybe I'm totally wrong, but it's, it's that, you know, uh, first, first word hopping or mash hopping. Uh, you know, the, the claim that uh, first word hopping, well, there's some compound or something at temperature in the wort, and it, it's the same compounds that are in later in the wort. It's just you're, you're exposing the hops for a longer period of time. And then, they, and then people would point to, well, uh, the Germans write about, uh, you know, a finer hop flavor. The Germans don't want hop flavor. They want, when they're talking about flavor, they're talking about bitterness, a smoother, cleaner bitterness, getting rid of a lot of the volatile compounds that have a lot of the characteristic, you know, uh, characters, maybe caddy or whatever that you don't want in the hops. In a fine German beer, you want a clean, perfect bitterness without... Uh, this ex extraneous hop flavor. And I think that's what they were looking for when they talked about first word hopping. Unfortunately, you know, then we in America grab hold of this and go, well, it says it's better flavor. You get more hop flavor if you put them in the first word. And for me, I thought that was, it was not the, the, the smartest thing. 
Um, you know, what's your what's your thought on first word hopping? Let's throw that out there. Let's throw. Let's touch this live rail. <laughs> it's funny because it's always hard to define. You know, smoother flavor. You know, too. It's just you know, what exactly mm-hmm. do you mean by that? And, and can you even tell? I because I would think you know. Most of the the hop compounds that you're after, in terms of if if we're staying on like you know hazy beers or, or even West Coast IPAs, um, most of those monoterpene alcohols and everything you want in the finished beer are going to be long gone if you're first word hopping. I mean, a 60 minute boil I think is probably pushing out uh, mm-hmm. most of those compounds. In fact, you know, hydrocarbons like myrcene, for example, are, are gone in a matter of minutes um, in in hot wort. So I don't think flavor-wise, I don't think I would be able to tell much of a difference between a 60-minute and a first wort edition. Um, there's the there's the magic that happens though because you're first wort hopping. What about well, that your, magic? Your smells better sooner <laughs> while you're brewing, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I just I, you know, in me, I, I can be totally wrong. I I, I often I often am. I think uh, that's what I'm really well known for. If you Google, <laughs> you know, I think that's the case. Um, uh, let's say that we do a lot of mash hopping um, at Southwood. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, that's more of a um, beer stability thing um, based mm. off um, some research that shows that alpha acids and, and beta acids um, introduced to the, to the wort have an ability to complex um, problematic metals that come from the grain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if there's iron or, or copper, um, it can kind of reduce those total numbers right away. And in fact, mm-hmm. the alpha acids have a, a better ability to do that at higher pHs. And so mm-hmm. if you if you mash hop, even before you make a an adjustment to your to your mash to, to lower that pH, um, you might get an even quicker um, impact on that. And so for us, it's more of a insurance you know if it works and we're getting a little bit better stability out of it especially with hazy beers which you know are a little have a tendency to go downhill a little faster than others right. We, right. we just don't see a reason not to to throw in a, a pound or two in the in the mash but otherwise you, a um, pound you know, or two in in how big a mash uh so that's uh 10 barrel batch mm-hmm. um so an ounce or, or so for a home brewer and, and mm-hmm. usually we're just you know stealing from the whirlpool or right if we egg open um from a previous use that we have in the cold room we'll just you know toss those in i've also believed that you know in dark beers uh you know those roasted grains it's the you know uh has an antioxidant uh property to it that actually helps but then there's the whole thing about uh you know the heat load on your entire beer uh, becomes a negative like a lot of crystal malts you know affects the stability but i think I don't. Know. I think that that was another show we did. You're gonna to have to go back and Google and, and listen more. All right. So, uh, what do you mean by survivable hops? Survivables is it's it's a term that Yakima Chief um, just was kind of throwing around, I guess, internally while they're doing some um, some research, and it and it's one that I just kind of adopted with them because I, I really like it. It describes kind of what they're after, what they're researching, but. You know, there's, you know, over a thousand different compounds in hops. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a little overwhelming to really dive into all of them. Um, right. So why not just focus on the compounds we know are in the final beer? You know, mm-hmm. those, those are the, 
they're having an impact on the taste and aroma because um, they're there. <laughs> we can test them. And so you know, why not focus all the, the, um, the research on those? And that's, that's kind of what they did in a, in a recent, in a recent um, study. But um, you almost have to step back a little bit and then kind of define what those classes of, of hop compounds are. Um, to, to see, or at least for me, it's helpful to, to step back and, and look at those because then you have a better sense of um, what each compound might be bringing to the beer and why it's important that it's in there. Um, right. And so, right. you know, for the longest time, there, most of the research um, focused on monoterpene alcohols. So um, these, aren't, these aren't the hydrocarbons. So those hydrocarbons are, again, like the myrcene um, type compounds that are uh, more volatile and those on hot side wise, I don't think they're sticking around at all. So mm-hmm. they didn't focus at all on those. Um, but they did look at the monoterpene alcohols that are, um, found in finished beer, like linalool, geraniol, beta citronella, all those kind of things. Right. Um, and those historically have been the, the compounds that most of the research has been focused on. I mean, linalool, for example, most papers, they determine the, the hoppiness amount by how much linalool is in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's been like the magic compound for a while. Um, and so that was one they, they looked at, um, and then they also looked at the two newer areas that are interesting to me are hop derived esters and mm-hmm. hop derived fatty acids. Um, okay. Well, so, let's let's do this. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll we'll dive into uh, more of uh, survivable hops right after this. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking survivables uh, with Scott Janish from uh, Scott Janish IPA and uh, Sapwood uh, Brewery uh, and author of the excellent uh, uh, new IPA uh, book uh, that gives you a lot of information about uh brewing with hops all right so we're talking about survival hops you know uh hops that make it through the hot process into the cold process and you know why that's important uh one of the things i thought was interesting in the article on your website scottjanish.com was uh you mentioned you the importance of tasting beers pre-dry hop and why is that yeah, it's kind of like a, an obsession I have with these with, with our hoppy beers because you know if you if you taste your beer, so fermentation's done. You had a healthy, good fermentation. There's no off flavors. Um, you you crash out the yeast um, if you have that ability. I know it's harder as a, as a home brewer. Um, and then so right before um, adding the hops, I like to pull a sample. Adding the dry hops, that is, pull a sample and really smell it and 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 
try to analyze the the aroma and the and the flavor that I'm getting from it because so often when I use you know even you know we're we're whirlpooling at about two pounds per barrel in most of our beers which is pretty high from my understanding um, with a lot of other um, pro breweries around us anyways and a lot of times there's like almost no hop flavor at that point so mm-hmm. fermentation itself pushed it off through the through co2 um, you lose some compounds to trub um, it's just for whatever reason certain compound certain hops would have hardly any impact um, on the final flavor before dry hopping and some just seem to stick around mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really well and so it, it, we're always trying new new hops because it's great when when you get a lot of hop flavor from a from a hop that's cheap so you can just load up the the hops <laughs> um, right and so that's why we have like the, the the cheater hops is what we dub like a series of like you know citra the galaxies of the world and then the cheaper mm-hmm. hops are just like the gap cascade columbus of the mm-hmm. world um and so for me it all kind of started with with idaho seven that was the one hop um about a year ago that we used um in the whirlpool and that's you know probably around um i think that was all idaho seven so two pounds per barrel or so. So, um, probably about 10 ounces. I'd have to do the math for, for a home brewer there, but right before dry hopping, I, I couldn't believe how aromatic the beer was. It had mm-hmm. like a nice piney kind of fruitiness to it. And the flavor was there too. Um, so I, I really had no idea why, um, that was happening. Um, but Yakima chief just recently, you know, dissected the, the Idaho seven in particular to see, you know, what was in it. And it turns out that it just has the highest percentage of these compounds that are sticking around. So it has the highest amount of these survivable compounds that mm-hmm. they know are in finished beer and the hop itself before it goes into the beer has a lot of them. Um, so what compounds are those? I mean, what, you know, if, if we're looking at other hops to try and uh, determine what's the next great Idaho seven for survivable hop compounds, what what compounds are there? I, I think you listed uh, four things: um, oxygen contained in monoterpene alcohols, hop derived esters, branch chain fatty acids, and polyfunctional thiols. Right? Yeah, that's that's okay. That's the you know, and each one of those has individual. So those are more like classes of of hop mm-hmm. compounds, and then you can mm-hmm. break those down into more. Um, in terms, you know, a lot these aren't usually on, on the, you know, wherever you're buying the hops, they usually don't get into that much detail. Hopefully you know, right. at some point they, they will. They, they don't give you any analysis whatsoever. They're like alpha acid harvested this date. It's like, do you have any more? They're like, no. Like, yeah, some thanks. Some of them are doing better now at like telling like the lots or um, I think a lot of <laughs> Yeah, packs you can look up now. I'm I'm not 100 little, sure. A little more, a little more. I, I mean, it's hard even to get oil content sometimes. Yeah, total I, oil I, content. It's like, well, yeah, all right. That means it has um, a lot of oil. It has a lot of whatever it has if it's hot. Yeah, it's got some. It's got something in it. Right. Yeah. Um. So, but the, the uh, you know, like so for the hop derived esters, the big one is uh, two mib is is the name of it. It's it's like a apricot forward. Um, flavor um, mm-hmm. and the individual hops that are higher in that would be like a southern cross um and then uh, hop yeah. drive hop drive fatty acids or is a, is another one and that's fatty acids are almost like a precursor precursor to to um esters 
um, during fermentation, fatty acids um, get converted into fruity esters, but um, sometimes they stick around as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so Bravo and, and Apollo are the two that stand out of uh, this paper, I think tested 12 different, different hop varieties and they were high in those. Um, and those are important because, you know, hop there, there's a, there's so many, it, it's easy to get almost too confused with all this because there's so many compounds, but it seems that trying to load up your whirlpool with the most complex set of them is kind of the key because mm-hmm. synergy is a, is a big part of this. So they found that the more like hop drive fatty acids were in the beer, it had an additive impact on the fruity monoterpene alcohols. So by dosing in some of these fatty acids, it tasted like there was more of the monoterpene alcohols. You know, it was just a synergistic effect. And they had the, the same thing with, with thiols. Um, so, you know, hop-drived thiols, the main ones are, you know, 3-MH, 3-MHA, and 4-MMP. Um, and, they, and they just found that whenever there was 4-MMP, for example, in with the monoterpene alcohols, the monoterpene alcohols tasted like there was more of them. And so mm-hmm. it's more of a, you know, just because Southern Cross is high in, you know, a hop drive ester to MIB doesn't mean you should just only use Southern Cross. Right. Um, it's, it's just, you know, it, they're all kind of additive and they, and they work together. Um, right. You know, the, 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 it's interesting. So a friend of mine, uh, uh, Travis uh, TC from uh, Houston, he will do a lot of uh, smash beers, you know, single malt, single hop. And, uh, you know, he, he does it with all these hops that he's, he's getting. And uh, just recently he sent me some, finally. And uh, <laughs> they, were, they were delicious, by the way. But, you know, it's a great, uh, you know, indicator of an individual hop. But I have, it, it's difficult for me to appreciate a single hop beer. I, I, because there's always a better beer that uses that hop with some other hop. Yeah. It's like you're saying the synergy of using multiple hops uh, really, you know, brings out so much more. The, 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 the whole is, is greater than the sum of the parts when you use multiple hops and you use that in that collaboration. That's why I like that um, kind of database you have on your website that kind of sorts uh, hops by, you know, the, the compounds in them. I, you know, it's interesting because it's like, okay, it, it's, it's like uh, layering, you know, flavors on when you're cooking and it, it, you're, you're trying to build something more than just, you know, cooking a steak. When you cook a steak, you add other flavors to it because a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, all of a sudden, oh my God, you know, you got something more, right? Yeah. And it's interesting too, that I think you can go too much the other way. I, I don't know what your mm, experience is, but right. if you, if you start layering, you know, even three sometimes for me is, is too many hops in one beer, but sure, you're going sure. four or five, six different varieties. To me, I just tend to get more of a, a generic hoppy. Hoppiness. Character. Yes. Yeah. And so you, you can go too, too high um, the other way by trying to be too diverse. Um, I, so, you know, usually we're doing, I think I mentioned in the last show, whenever we do single hop beers, we almost always do cryo with the pellet version because it builds mm-hmm. in a little more complexity because you're having a different set of, I mean, the same, um, 
amount you're having different amounts of those oils and so they're, uh-huh. they're similar in nature but they're you know they're 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 pelletized so much differently um, right. usually yeah two two varieties is is kind of where i like to, to go and right. it, right. trying out a new variety i almost always pair it with citra because citra just go, goes well with everything <laughs> so you can citra is king yes yeah, yeah I'll, I'll do three generally um but that's you know, something in the kettle that is really just, you know, more of a background and then, you know, a couple in the dry hop. Uh, and it depends, I guess, <clears throat> you know, when I do something like a classic German Pilsner or something like that, or, uh, some of those other beers, I will do, um, you know, a single hop in a lot of those. I guess I, guess I should, I guess when I say like two, I'm talking just, just dry hopping. So mm-hmm. the, the hot side will, will use multiple, Mm-hmm. multiple varieties because that's where we're just trying to load it up with with as many compounds as we can but yeah dry hopping is usually um one to three for us uh-huh. i don't know do you ever do if you're doing three do you change the amounts or you just split them up evenly uh we'll change the amounts yeah it depends um you know what we want more character from you know we kind of i don't know you brew long enough and you kind of have this sense of uh, yeah, a little more of that, a little less of that. Uh, you don't have any scientific proof. You don't have any, you know, detailed logs and spreadsheets of analysis. You just go like, yeah, a little more of this, a little less of that. Yeah, throw it in here, throw it in there, and, and you know, Bob's your uncle. There you go. Whichever hop costs more, you just dry hop with that one last, so it, it sticks around. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's the problem with commercial brewing. Uh, let's see here. Uh, if you have any questions, you can enter them into the comments on uh, uh, Facebook. Yeah, this is all live, and the beautiful uh, Beverly Moore uh, Bevo is there uh, monitoring your your chat, and she is providing those questions to us. Uh, and a reminder: we're going to do this live every week on Wednesday, starting 1 p.m. Pacific. Until I catch up with all the shows we should have been doing the last six months, I apologize to our sponsors and our listeners. I don't really apologize to Justin because that that does no good. Bevo, I would apologize to. Uh, She is too sweet and too kind. Uh, Let's see. She says, uh, Julia says, uh, survivables. Can coriander... With loads of linalool and some geraniol be used in the whirlpool as a substitute for hops. For example, in a sour with lacto yeast co-fermentation to prevent killing the lacto with hop alpha acids. Ah, interesting. If so, how much grams per liter coriander would you recommend? So it's a fascinating question. Uh, obviously Julius understands a lot of what's going on. You know, we talk about linalool, geraniol being biotransformed or being part of, you know, making a juicy beer, but th- he's mixing in also, um, you know, on a sour beer, when you have lactobacillus that is harmed by uh, hop alpha acids, could you use uh, coriander? All right, Scott, you're on the you're on the, the must answer this question. We we've done it. So um, oh, Mike has done. Uh, I I believe he wrote a blog post years ago about using coriander for its high geraniol um, composition to see if you could get biotransformation because that's one of those again that we know sac strains do. You don't need 
um, a different enzyme that mm-hmm. you know, like wine yeasts or, or Brett are capable of doing. Uh-huh. Uh, and so we, we have a Goza that we've done twice now where we add uh, coriander to the um, fermenter at the same time we pitch yeast. Um, again, because that, that biotransformation is happening in the first couple days of fermentation. So we're just trying to get that, that draineal in there early. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head what, what our rating, what our rate was for, for the, uh, of using it, but, um, it, it turns out well because it really shifts the coriander to more of like a, a citrusy lime kind of flavor, mm-hmm. um, and away from something, you know, you might have in your, in your cupboard. Um, and so it works, it works really well for us. And it's more of like, a it's not a dominant flavor. It's just more kind of in there for, for complexity. Um, hmm. so. Um, and then those, those, that beer too, generally we have, um, you know, we're co-pitching lack, most of our, our beers are that are, um, have lacto in them. We're, we're keeping alive. Um, mm-hmm. that's what we're going to, you know, have the mobile canners come through, then we have to kill it off in the kettle. Right. We're pitching, um, lacto at the same time as Zach or giving lacto, a, a 24 hour head start before pitching some yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it turns out pretty well in, in our beer when we, when we, uh, when we take that approach that he was mentioning. Is it possibly a less expensive way of getting linalool draineal in your, your work in the, in the whirlpool for, for juicy beers? Uh, it probably, yeah. Um, hmm. I don't know the cost per, you know, ounce of, of coriander per, you know, some good. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a cheap bastard. So <laughs> I, I'm going to figure that out. I'm going to see if uh, I can do it. And maybe I'll try 120 barrel batch with uh, oh, coriander so instead. I will so tell you this. Beer. There's there's a huge difference in the types of coriander available. And uh, I learned this at uh, Sipsmith in London. Um, they make gin. And we were doing a collab with, uh, we we're making, I was making a Goza at, Fuller's <laughs> 250 British barrels uh, and uh, <laughs> and we threw in lactobacillus in their facility and everything else and they thought we'd lost our minds <laughs> but hopefully they got the, that lacto out of their facility it's absolutely <laughs> the greatest collab ever it was they left me to run the brew plant when a, like a tour was coming through it was so much fun but uh, we we couldn't get coriander for some reason. We walked across the street to uh, Sipsmith, which is in the Fuller's parking lot. And uh, they make amazing gins. And they, uh, they gave us some coriander. And it was a smaller coriander seed. And what I found is the smaller the coriander seed, the more citrus it seems to have. The bigger the coriander seed, it becomes much more black pepper. So if you're looking at coriander seeds, look for the smallest coriander seeds. They tend to be far more citrusy. I mean, it was just night and day. Um, So that's, and I wonder, have they done a study of coriander seed size versus linalool and uh, geraniol concentration? There was a study on uh, uh, using that a while back. Um, Oh, yeah. And I I agree with you that the, uh, I think we get ours from a place, I don't know if it's like a, just local to us called like H Mart, I think is where we get a lot of this stuff, but they dollar tree. Yeah. Dollar tree. That's where you get the best coriander. <laughs> oh yeah. 
Uh, but there's a huge difference. The, the one that we use, uh, it, it, it smells almost more like fruity pebbles or something than, uh-huh. you know, and so it, it, the ingredients you put in your beer definitely is a huge impact. It's not, it definitely makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, Todd was asking, uh, he wants us to discuss how terrible wet hot beers are in the same fashion. <laughs> what? We don't get a lot of opportunities to do wet hop beers on the, on the East coast. There's not as, you know, the, the turnaround to get them to us isn't as quick. And there's, there's some um, hop growing around us, um, but we're, I don't have, um, you know, I don't have direct lines on a lot of these things, but yeah, it's, it seems, I don't know what your opinion is wet, wet hop beers, but they do, they do seem a little um, greener in nature than. Uh, yes. You have to enjoy that, you know, chewing on a leaf kind of, Chewing on cabbage before it's fully ripe uh, or <laughs> too ripe. I love kind the of concept character. of wet hop beers. Yeah. Um, I, I love it, you know, because it's not like something you get all the time. And it really does depict, uh, you know, kind of the character of the hop before it's fully, uh, you know, dry and, you know, how you use it later on it accentuates that chlorophyll and the kind of that uh, green, yeah. you know, raw kind of uh, vegetable character. And, uh, you know, it's cool. And it, I like anything that was well fermented. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you can throw that in there and it's, it's, it's not that bad for me. I'd, I'd be curious to do, have a, uh, try a wet hop beer where the wet hops were added like day one of fermentation and, you know, maybe uh. some that greener character thing that uh, would would blow off a little bit and maybe you'd be left with some of the more polar fruitier compounds but mm-hmm. you know that's mm-hmm. not something i've tried but that would be right. an interesting right. thing to do yeah yeah once a year thing uh we're gonna need to take another short break uh if you're listening live stay tuned we're gonna be back in just a few seconds if you're listening on the podcast uh enjoy uh, listening to our fine sponsors make sure to support them we will be back right after this back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer this is brew strong all right we're back Live with Brew Strong and Scott Janish uh, from scottjanish.com and Sapwood Brewery out in uh, Maryland. Uh, we've been talking about survivables, which is what hop compounds are surviving the uh, the process of the boil or the the uh, whirlpool, the hot side, that make it to the to the cold side. And surprisingly, Scott's pointed out that uh, like Idaho 7 has like the greatest survivability of the, uh, of the hot side into the cold side. Which hops are better uh, survivors? Um, and, and break this down for me from like the boil, the whirlpool, and even dry hopping. Uh, which ones are we looking for for each phase of our brewing? Um. Well, the, the, if I just point to like the Yakima chief, uh, study that was done recently where they, you, know, they you have a great chart on your website as well. Yep. And that's uh, coming straight from them where they did, 
Um, I think it was six or seven of these survivable compounds. So it's a mix of monoterpene alcohols, uh, hop drive esters, um, and thiols. Um, and looked at each hop variety to see, you know, which ones are having the most of the combination of these important survivable compounds. Um, and Idaho seven, like we said, was number one. Um, we've actually found that when we're using Idaho seven as in the whirlpool, we would like to use it as like half of it because it can almost be uh, too much and, and interfere with some of the, uh, especially more subtle dry hop varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but mosaic was, it was number two. Um, mosaic was, um, is another one that we use quite a bit on the hop side, actually paired with Idaho seven quite a bit. Wow. Um, yeah. And, um, Bravo is one that was number three. And mm-hmm. that's uh, an interesting one because Bravo is high in these, in, in total oil, it's high in monoterpene alcohols. Um, and so if it's high in total oil and monoterpene alcohols, it just means kind of, it has more of those. Um, mm-hmm. it was also high in some of the, um, hop drive esters. Um, and so it's just like one of those that kind of hits all the, the check marks individually for some of these compounds. So it makes sense that that's, um, that it's up there. Um, um, millennium is one that I haven't used yet that I, I would really like to, um, that's also high, um, um, Simcoe, mm-hmm. one. um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, um, so one of the hop styles is uh, 3MH, which is like a, a grapefruit um, type thiol that, and thiols, I should say, are just, you know, they're sulfur compounds in hops and they're very, very small percentage of the total oil, but their, their um, thresholds, um, the sensory thresholds are, are really low. And so you don't need a lot of them in there um, mm-hmm. to actually have an impact on the beer. Um, and 3MH is, is one that gets converted to 3MHA, which is like a, a passion fruit one with the, with the right yeast and right enzyme. Um, but on, a, on its own, it's good as like a grapefruit thing. But that was one of the only compounds that actually was tested to increase um, with time in the boil. Um, hmm. So it would make sense to me to use um, the hops that are high in 3MH as like your bittering addition if you're doing that. Um, mm-hmm. because if that 3MH is going to keep increasing, um, you increase the chance of that being converted potentially to a passion fruit thing, or you're just increasing uh, more of that um, beneficial survivable compound. And um, uh, Millennium is one that was, was really high in, in that. And so that's, that's one mm-hmm. I would I'm plan on experimenting with in, in a little bit here. So, and that's kind of the thing with all this. It's like the, the science is just fun to help steer us to try new things with right. a little bit a little intention. Um, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's always going to pan out um, a little purpose, giving something a shot. And here's the reason why, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the purpose of any scientific study. It's like, well, here's my theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the high levels of four MMP are going to lead to, you know, uh, this, that, the other thing. And so I'm going to use a hop with that. And that's my theory and I'm going to prove it, disprove it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, so, uh, millennium you would suggest for, for the boil, right? If you're trying to get the passion fruit or something like that, right? Anything that's high in that, in that three MH. Otherwise, um, whirlpool is really where it's at for all these compounds. I mean, I think you're going to have higher retention of all these, um, in, in the whirlpool. 
Um, mm -hmm. Probably even if you have the ability to cool your whirlpool a little bit before adding the hops, I think you would increase that even even more. Um, right. You, you, you suggest 180 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep, that's what we tend to shoot for for most of ours. And if we mm -hmm. go a little lower, we might increase the time, the contact time mm -hmm. there. But so, you know, usually 180 degrees, two pounds per barrel, um, probably around 10 ounces for a home brewer, and then at least 20 minutes or so of, of contact time at, at 180. Mm -hmm. And then um, in dry hopping, is there like a difference, uh, you know, survivability in the dry hopping versus are there hops that survive dry hopping better? Um, I guess, you know, dry hopping is interesting because, you know, if you're doing it post-fermentation, um, and especially if you're doing it under pressure, so you have, you know, five pounds of pressure on the headspace or something, um, there's not a lot of variables that should um, detract from those compounds that extract, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. I mean, fermentation is done, um, you're at a cooler temperature, so you're not worried about heat pushing any uh, aromatics or compounds out. Um, so I think at that point, it's more of uh, what flavor profile are you after and then sort of targeting hops based on that mm -hmm. um, you can use a little of the the science to guide you in terms of um, pushing yourself away from more greener compounds especially in these hazy beers that we discussed for more viscous and retain some of those otherwise more volatile green compounds but that that may, might be one thing to consider but um, i think overall it'd be they're, they're probably you know whatever the what is in that hop in terms of their oil makeup is probably just being extracted in a similar, similar manner post-firm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, which goes to, you know, the hops that are, that we've added in the whirlpool or the boil, those compounds need to survive fermentation. Is there a difference in which hops survive fermentation better or in which yeasts, uh, promote certain flavors. I think yeast has uh, an incredible impact on what the finished beer is and will take away your hops, give you hops, take away your malts. Uh, you know, it, it has the ability to do a lot. Uh, any, any thoughts there? Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Um, there's a, there was a new paper that came out. I think they tested maybe 10 different, um, yeast strains. Um, and they basically, it was the same beer, but they used different yeast strains with the same hops. And then they had drastically different, um, final compound uh, measurements for each one of those yeasts. So mm -hmm. some yeasts are, are leaving some, you know, potentially beneficial compounds behind more than others. Um, and, the one that the, this paper found, um, of course, this was only studying a handful of, of yeast strains, so it doesn't mean it's the best, but um, the, what is it, S33, um, and what is it, K, I think K97, so these are dry, dry yeast strains. Um, they had the highest amount of, um, by far the highest of these um, apricot-leaning hop-drived esters in the final beer. Mm -hmm. um, and the sensory panel also found them to be the most... Um, aromatic in terms of of fruity flavors so mm -hmm. i think yeast strain is 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 so huge in in, in brewing and that's right. um you know that 
we just brewed a beer that had 3% Hefeweizen yeast um, mm-hmm. as part of like normal, like a 13, 18 type um, primary ferment. Uh-huh. You, I mean, it doesn't take much at all to kind of, to get that, um, to completely change your, your profile of your beer, with just a little bit more of another yeast strain. Right. Right. And so I, I'm playing, I love playing with, with different blends. I've done a lot of, um, co-ferments with wine yeast. So I'll do, you know, five to 10% of these pitched with wine yeast that has, you know, enzymes like beta glucosidase that can, um, bioconvert and release additional flavors from hops, the same kind of hops or same compounds that, you know, the wine world has been looking at for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's been tricky because most of the wine yeast leave like a really phenolic aftertaste to the beer. So mm-hmm. maybe there's some bioconversion going on, but I just can't get past the <laughs> fermentation profile that it's leaving. That's right. Right. Um, and so it's, yeah. you know, I've tried six or seven different wine yeasts and almost always it's like that. The only one that I had good luck with was a wine strain called uh, Vin seven. And that was co-pitched with a, with a lager at, at cooler temperatures. So mm-hmm. um, as a way to try to tamper down that um, phenolic thing, but it, it, it makes you, also paranoid how important cleaning is if only you know a percent <laughs> or two of a different strain and, and can make a big difference yeah yeah heat, heat is your friend at that point yeah exactly <laughs> all right let's take a short break and hear from our friends who've uh, make the show possible and we'll be back right after this back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like Wine guys, brew strong. All right, we're back doing brew strong with uh, a good friend uh, Scott Janish. Uh, uh, let's see here. We were talking about uh, fermentation affecting uh, you know the the flavor of beer. I mean that's that's just a massive thing, um, and you know really the hops that uh, you know will you know, survive, uh, kind of fermentation, but it really depends on the yeast. I think, you know, some may, may, may last past the yeast, but here's, here's another question I have for you. You're telling me I should take my hops and leave them out, poke holes in the, in the nitrogen sealed bags, leave them out warm, sitting around for a year warm or whatever, whatever the heck you're talking about. You're telling me take my valuable hops and uh, abuse them and then throw them in the whirlpool because I'm going to build up the, uh, the uh, uh, branch chain fatty acids in those hops. And that's going to give me something better. Now, full disclosure, I'm willing to give this a try on 120 barrel batch. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> and then you're gonna, I do. I do have Apollo on hand. I do have Apollo on hand, and I do have a beer that I brew like every week uh, at 120 barrels. So I'm willing to give this a shot. I, so I, I, explain yourself, my friend. Explain yourself. Well, I'll explain the research of others, so then I'm not on the hook. <laughs> oh, blame it on others. <laughs> um, yeah, the the hop drive fatty acids. So that's a uh, an oxidant oxygen, um, uh, actual alpha acids are being oxidized into these fatty acids. So the more you leave them out, the more fatty acids you'll have. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't recommend like, again, it's not all about these, right. It's, you want some of it. So it's not like 
you know, hundred percent of your whirlpool, I, I probably wouldn't do super eight. <laughs> I mean, you mm-hmm. just want to push some of those in cause they have that synergistic effect that we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. Um, and I actually um, reached out to the author of this um, paper cause he found that, you know, Apollo was one of those that had the most of these. Um, I think Apollo and Bravo had the most of these um, fatty acids. And so, um, just on their own, but then if you were to age them a little bit, you'd get even more of them. Um, right. So I asked him like, what exactly he meant by that? Um, and his recommendation was, you know, like a year at room temperature, essentially. Um, <laughs> so oh my me, God. <laughs> and for me, that just means like, I I'm less afraid at the brewery to um, use hops on the hot side that are just in our cold room. Uh-huh. You know? like, or, you know, we're in transit for a long time or, or right. whatever it is. I'm more concerned with how hops are treated for the dry hops. And this right. just makes me feel a little better about, you know, getting poorly treated hot side hops. And a lot of the dry hops that we <laughs> intend to use that don't smell good. It's like, right. just because it's in the recipe doesn't mean it's going in the beer. So, so well, smell them before we use them. If they're not that great, then we'll usually just, you know, put them in the cold room and leave them for a while and then, and then try them on the hot side. I think, well, I think uh, a couple of things. One yeah. is if I leave a box, if I pierce a, a bag of uh, Apollo hops and leave it out room temperature for a year, when I go back to use this hops, they're going to smell like cheese and... <laughs> You know, and, and and if I was throwing them in the boil, if I was giving it 60 minutes to blow off the cheese, maybe. But if you're telling me to throw them in the whirlpool at like 180, I think I'm going to trap a lot of that cheese in my beer. Is that not the case? Well, I guess I'd, I'm, I'd have to go back and look. I'm pretty sure he, this uh, he didn't recommend um, cheese. You don't want cheese in the beer. A little cheddar? Could we ch- could we cheddar whirlpool? Cheddar cheddar hop. Cheddar, cheddar dry ch- dry cheddaring. So you just said it. Now it's probably gonna be the next big thing here. Dry, you heard it here first. We we had the uh the had the whirlpool uh coriander. Now we have the dry cheddaring. We have beers coming out that are gonna taste spectacular. But. I, I wouldn't probably poke holes in the bag that I was leaving out for a year unless I was going to use them in like, uh, you know, we do a lot of mixed firm beers, Atlantic yeah. inspired beers. That I I, it's in, it's in your, uh, your, your blog. You yeah, wrote, I mean, you wrote, poke some holes. The, but it's, it's like, uh, I'm not making this up. I, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, it's like, uh, you don't want like a poorly, poorly stored, in my opinion. Like if it smells really awful, I, I probably uh-huh. wouldn't use it. It's more of like, um, it's faded a little bit, right? And so like, you're not going to use it as a dry hop, but you're still comfortable using it in the whirlpool. It's a little old. Um, mm-hmm. It probably has more of these um, fatty acids that can both be good for synergy and as well as be esterified into fruity esters during fermentation. So is, is, is the oxidative uh, effects developing more of the fatty acids? Yeah. So the more they're exposed, I think, I believe the more they're exposed to oxygen, the more of these. The greater acids. the, right. Yeah. So see, on the, and if, if you get a ton of them, it sounds like rotten cheddar. Just saying. Yeah, there you go. I like how you said you got to cheese them off too. So by not <laughs> using them in the in the world, um, uh, those, would be, right. those would be good ones maybe to use in the um, mash hop thing too. 
where, you know, some of those, right. you know, you, you might, you still have um, some alpha acids left in them. So you're, you're getting that um, stability benefit and then uh-huh. you know, you're giving them time to cheese off, but those, those, <laughs> those fatty acids might still uh, carry through a little bit and, and have a positive impact. Right. Right. You'll, you'll carry the, the fatty acids through. Um, okay. No, I, I, I'm, <laughs> no matter how much I joke about it, I'm, I'm curious to give it a try. I, I you know, I, at this point, at this point I have people, which I say, look, do this. <laughs> and they go like, well, that sounds stupid. Do it anyways. <laughs> it's like two or three conversations, but eventually I get them to do what I want. And, uh, you know, we, 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 try these weird things so uh we'll, we'll try dry cheesing or, or or first wort cheesing uh stewart stewart asks with more and more hop varieties coming in the market every year from africa australia eastern europe britain etc what non-us hops are lighting your fire <laughs> um assuming you have a fire i have a fire and hops light it Let's see which ones do it. Um, I'm trying to think. Is it Nectaron? I think they just renamed one of the uh, the new Nectaron. Yeah, is it sounds a, like a sounds like a Transformer movie. I know it's a, it's a goofy name, but um, I think it was four three three seven. Maybe was the um, the the number that was assigned to it before it was officially mm-hmm. Nectaron. But um, that was a pretty good one. It, it was uh, galaxy like in, in what I've used. Um, to me, it, Galaxy has like a fruit stripe gum thing when it's really, really good. Oh, yeah. It's had a little bit of that. Um, that's mm-hmm. one that I really like. And of course, the non-US ones, Galaxy is always way up there for us. Um, right. It's, it's just great. Um, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, like Holler Tower Blanc, especially mixed with a little mosaic. I think that's mm-hmm. a great, great combo. Um, in fact, that's a, that's a combo that we've done with just a little bit of Belgian yeast with too. So um, a little Belgian yeast and mosaic and Holler Tower Blanc is a, is a, is a fun beer. Um, right. But it, it's, it's, there's so many that are always coming out and it's, and it's, yeah. it's hard to track. In fact, I, I look here, the, um, the survivables thing they did, one of the, uh, so it's HBC 692 was um, pretty high on the list um, for um, having a lot of these compounds. So that's a, another experimental one that might be worth trying on the, on the hot side. Well, I think, you know, uh, you know, pick some from the high end of this list, pick some, some others that have other characteristics. You know, it's, it's, it's like you're saying earlier, earlier, the synergy of, uh, you know, the hops mixing hops really helps. Yeah. Don't put, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket with one variety because the paper found it was high in one compound. Right. right. Exactly. You need multiple compounds. Yeah. Uh, Samuel was asking, the golden rule for dry hopping is eight grams per liter as the upper bound. Uh, let's see, uh, five ish, five grams per liter for a typical homebrew setup. I think five ish. Yeah. Before saturation and money loss. What are Scott's thoughts on if that is for a single dry hop or if that is total dry hop over the course of two or three days? Is it eight grams per liter total or per dry hop charge? Um, I will tell you this. If you're worried, if you're homebrewing, you're worried about money loss, huh, just open a commercial brewery. 
<laughs> stop, stop Obering. <laughs> Obering is not about saving money. If you homebrew, you're going to throw money away and you're going to enjoy it and you're going to have the best beer in the world and you're just going to have an amazing time. Homebrewing is not about saving money. Yeah. Commercial brewing is about throwing money away. If you want to, <laughs> if you're worried about throwing money away and money loss, open a brewery. I just, there you go. Um, so eight grams per liter is that, is that the total upper? So I think upper, we- upper limits for dry hopping before we talked about this earlier, you know, there's a limit to dry hopping where you're wasting hops. I think, uh, uh, the hammer, uh, talked about this. Uh, what is it? And Jen, I, I think it's total would be the I answer. It's probably a total figure. I, I would guess. Yeah. Um, it's just so hard to, you know, I would almost hate for there to be an actual golden rule for, for hopping. Cause that means everyone's doing the same thing. Right. Um, like, like writing a book of recipes and then everybody's brewing the same recipes and entering yeah. a competition. That sucks. I mean, I, oh, well, what kind of a world is that? And I, I actually purposely didn't, you know, despite I'm sure people would love recipes in, I purposely didn't put a single recipe in mind because the whole point is trying to encourage people to like use the science to be creative. You have to give people a starting point, give people a starting point that they can use and, (laughs) you know, see that it has, that it worked and then they can go from there and then you can kind of give them the, you know, okay, here's things to try, but you got to give them a starting point. This is, this is the biggest failure of your book. No recipes. No recipes. It was it was just horrible because of that. I you know, I got no recipes out of it. I'm sure you've gotten comments. All right. So you write a book and then you get comments about, oh, it's horrible because of this. It's horrible because of that. It's just like, oh my God, what? Because I didn't include recipes? Please. (laughs) I definitely got a lot. There was a a typo in it. The early version had weird like spacing and stuff because it's it was self-published. So I was kind of learning as I was going. It was like, right, right. But I, I, I honestly think it's a great book. Uh, it's, it's one of the uh, few books written by somebody else that I've enjoyed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean that. I, I love all the books out there. Um, I'm reading. Uh, I'm reading a great, great one. Uh, Strange Tales of Ale uh, by uh, Martin uh, in England. Um, uh, I, I, I truly think your book is everybody who's, who's brewing should have it. It's one of those great books that just really asks a lot of great questions, answers a lot of great questions. I think that that is, you know, something pretty, pretty special. You don't, you don't see those very often. Well, so. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you, um, especially. So. Well, there you go. Well, I thank you very much for uh, participating in this. Uh, I want to mention our good friends at brewchatter.com. Those guys, uh, they understand great homebrew. They have great ingredients. I'm sure they have Scott's book there in in stock for you to go run down and, and check it out. They're, they're in Sparks, Nevada, right next to Reno. Uh, and they're all Scott. You can order all the stuff from them online, brewchatter.com. Uh, say hi to uh, Josh and RJ for me. Uh, really great guys. And if you want to order Blickman Engineering stuff, 
they've got it at their place. They can order it for you. They're big, uh, big on any kind of equipment you want. They can do it. They know they, they brew and brew very successfully. So they know what they're doing. Anyways, check them out. Brewchatter.com. All right. Thanks again, Scott. Uh, this has been very enjoyable and I think very educational for me and for the listeners. And I uh, hope to have you back again soon or uh, maybe we'll collab on a brew. That'd be fun. I, I think, you know, I'll be throwing in the cheddar. You'll be throwing in the coriander. You're going to start aging on <laughs> Apollo now. There you go. I'll, I will I will get a bag out. I will, I will literally, after this, drag a bag of Apollo out and we'll leave it until we collab and then you have to use that bag of Apollo. How's that sound? <laughs> Sounds like a deal. All right. Thank you much. Thanks, uh, listeners. Thank you to the uh, the beautiful Bebo for uh, handling the chat for us and uh, making this all possible. I had fun. Hope you all did too. Till next time, brew strong. Brew strong.